Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbenched Podcast. This week, I am so excited to share my conversation with Brody Lawson, a former host with the CFL and a former in-stadium host for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. This episode is a special one for me because a lot of you may know my cheerleader story. Don't worry if you don't. I'll get into that in a bit. But what you might not know is that Brody was the journalist who was there with me when it happened. So for those of you who have never had the pleasure of hearing the cheerleader story, it happened while I was down in the end zone during an Alouettes game while I was part of their media team back in 2019. So I was there because my job for that particular voyage down to the field level was to escort the hometown halftime concert performer, Zach Zoya, to his interviews after his set. So this was right before halftime and I was standing next to Brody watching the last few plays. I was wearing my blue Alouettes polo shirt and I had my all-access media pass hanging around my neck and Brody was holding that signature TSN microphone. So out of nowhere, this guy stops in front of us to let us know that we forgot our pom-poms. I'm 18 at this point, so I have no clue how to respond to that, but thankfully, Brody does. She gives him the customary, I'm sorry, what? To which he doubles down and repeats his point about pom-poms while acting out how you would cheer with such implements, you know, the raising your arms up and down. So as if his point wasn't clear, or maybe it was because we looked so confused, he said it was because we must be cheerleaders. Brody gestured the mic towards him ever so slightly and politely said, no. After staring us both up and down one more time, he flippantly said that we should be and walked off. I didn't really know what to make of the whole thing, but what I did know is that I just got a small glimpse into what my future in the field might look like, while also having been given a clinic by Brody on how to handle those kinds of interactions. Her professionalism never wavered, and I knew in that moment I wanted to be like her. So without further babbling on my end, here is my conversation with the iconic Brody Lawson. So the question I start with everyone is, why get into a field that is so notoriously male-dominated? I mean, I'd be so curious to hear what other women have had to say for this answer, but I have to say it wasn't even a consideration for me. It's not something I ever, I didn't think, oh gosh, I want to do this, but there's a lot of men who run the show here. This is going to be really challenging. I was like, well, this is something I really want to do. And this is an industry where I think I can have a lot of success and where a lot of my passion lies and I'm just going to go for it. And the way that I have always gone after my career is to really try and do things without fear, right? So having a lot of faith in myself and a lot of faith in the process, I sound like a football player. And if I work hard and I meet good people and I, you know, do well along the way, then that should set me up and continue to elevate me. I mean, hopefully that's how it works. And so that that's kind of how I've approached my career from the get-go, which was yeah, this is sort of out there. And especially at the time when a lot of my friends um, were going into more traditional careers, it was really scary. But having, having, having that kind of not letting fear dictate my decisions um, has always been a place I, I try my best to come, to come back to when I do get a bit anxious about anything. So male dominated, I didn't think about, but 
um, certainly doing something that was a bit risky and a bit out there compared to what some of my friends were doing. That was just coming at it from a place of, of faith instead of fear, which um, has served me well, I think, along the way. Yeah, I love that because I think it's it's very easy to get caught up in, at least speaking for myself, a lot of my friends pre-university, like you said, were going into these like very science or business. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm going to go talk about sports. And then obviously, once you get here, you kind of meet people who who think like you do, but it can be a little frightening when you're you're looking at it from perspective of like am I making a mistake um totally yeah so how did you kind of get into football like when did you know that that was the sport that you really wanted to work in so I always grew up around the game right my my grandfather played for the Tiger Cats and and my great uncle way back in the day so my grandfather had season tickets to the Tiger Cats. My dad used to take me, I would say once a season, maybe twice a season. Um, but the Grey Cup was always an event in our household. We had big Grey Cup Sunday with chili. And so, you know, and, and along with football games being on during the season. And so it's, it's not like it was something so distant from my experience. And when I was in university, I had the privilege of interning at TSN for a summer. And so that summer was the year that I realized I wanted to work in media and specifically sports media. I loved the pace of it. I loved the pressure. I'm a former athlete. And I just liked that feeling of being on my feet and needing things to be done really, really quickly and working with a team. That was different than the corporate environments that I had been working in prior to while I was um, during my summers at university. And so once I, once I realized that I kind of like you, and I'm sure a lot of your classmates and, and people listening, you kind of just find whatever you can do to keep you in that sphere. Yeah. So I started volunteering at Western for Mustang TV, which produces all of the um, Western Mustang games and, and broadcasts. And I was able to get a little volunteer position there. And then I volunteered with the local television station and covered the um, little baseball team, the inter-county baseball team, the London Lightning basketball team. And that kind of gave me enough experience that as I was about to graduate, I applied for an internship with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, full circle moment. <laughs> and that once I had sort of set my sights on this internship, I was pretty sure that football was where I wanted to be. It's not like I had said all along, okay, I have to be in football. It needs to be football. But certainly as I prepared for that internship, I realized that all of these little markers and things along my path had sort of led me in this direction. And how cool would it be to get to work for this team and get to work for a league that means like a lot to me and, and my family, which was really cool. And that internship solidified um, the real desire to, to stay in football. It took about like, I don't know, two weeks. And I was like, this is, this is it. Like, I loved the team. I loved the players. I loved the coaches. I had not really spent a lot of time around the game that closely. And as soon as I kind of understood what it was like, again, being a former athlete and starting to understand the culture around football and how it all worked, I was like, this is the best. So I was really lucky to get to continue working in football um, for a very, very long time because I love the game and I continue to love it more and more as I, as I worked in it. 
So what were you doing with the tiger cat specifically? Was it like a media role or? Yeah. Yeah. So it was the, there was the roles called a Ticats TV host, but basically what it meant was I was responsible for putting together daily stories for the team. And so it was like part learning experience, part providing um, access and, and, and storytelling to fans. Right. So I was learning how to edit like my own work. I was learning how to shoot a little bit. I would, you know, I'd take a camera to, to practice occasionally and I would have to be, do that. And then kind of by the end of the day, I would have to have a story ready to go. And so whatever was happening that week, whatever game they were coming off of, whatever the main storylines were, I would have to come up with a new story every day, which you can imagine, you know, for an entire football season, every day is a lot, is yeah, a that, lot of that, stories. That sounds like a lot. CFL is kind of a long season. It's a long season. So you get to know the players really well and you get to know who's going to give you a great soundbite. And if we're talking to, you know, the O-line because that was how in-depth we were going with these stories, right? You're like doing O-line stories occasionally. You're like, okay, which which player on the O-line can I grab? And at the time, um, Henry Burris was the quarterback for the Tiger Cats. And so I knew that I could great, get a great quote from Henry. I thought, okay, if I can grab him in this scrum and get Henry, then he'll really link my story together. Okay, and then what other pieces do I need? So you start to get a real familiarity with the team. And um, addition to, in addition to that, I was doing the in-stadium hosting when you go to a game and someone's up on the jumbotron, that was not my favorite part of the job. I find that actually very difficult. Um, but the storytelling element of it was the best. And at the end of that season, I was approached by um, my former colleague, Jonathan Rubinoff at the Canadian Football League, who said, you know, we really, and, and Chris Gallopo, who was there at the time, they said, we need a host to come with us to the Grey Cup in Regina is this is the 2013 Grey Cup. We need someone who's going to come in front face our media. Would you be prepared to come out with us for the week and do it? And I was like, yes. And so that was how I got introduced to the league office um, as a whole. But it was this buildup, which I would encourage, you know, anyone trying to get into sports, you know, to just, you have to do such a, not that I, not that I was like such a great job, but you have to really focus on what it is that you're doing at the time and not get too far ahead of yourself. Cause if you really dive into what it is you're doing at the time, it, it usually will lead to something, to something bigger. I hope all of my friends are writing that down. Cause I know I am <laughs> um, great career advice over here. Um, did you ever have any reservations about being a woman in football, especially working so close with the team? I think we it's very easy to hear a lot that football isn't exactly a great space for women. Um, and as a woman who wants to work in football, I think that's something that always really interests me. So what was your experience like with that? I didn't have any real reservations about it, but I it did take a real, it did make me take a real hard look at myself. And if I'm being honest and 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 think about whether or not it was something I wanted to push through, because here's the thing. Nobody likes going into the locker rooms and I will not speak for all women in sports. I'm speaking for myself as Brody Lawson. Yeah. I do not enjoy going into locker rooms. I do not enjoy going into locker rooms. I find that part of the job really challenging. Um, I find when, you know, there are a lot of women who work in football and a lot of women that work in sports, but they typically work in the head office, right? So when you're on the road, or you're working in media, you are oftentimes the only woman in a press box. 
maybe there's one more. You're often the only woman working in a, like if you're in a scrum, there may be one more, you know, if there's eight or 10. And I, I do think, I do think at a time I had to take a look at myself and say, okay, if you're going to do this, you have to set that insecurity or that uneasiness aside because it's it just is what it is. It's not going to go away. And so I think if I'm being really honest and vulnerable, there was definitely a moment where I had to just go, okay, you're going to be the only woman in the room. You're going to be the only woman in the press box occasionally. That's not going to be great, but it's going to be what it's going to be. That's not to say that the men that were in the press box weren't amazing. The men I work with are the best. Like I love the guys I work with. They're my family. They're my best pals. Like I have nothing like they're my, they are my family. But if you're on the road for a month, you know, it's just yeah. a different experience and something sure. you have to be prepared for. And that was really what I'm talking about. Just really, you know, I would visit my friends who worked in other industries where there were so many women and not that, you know, whatever, there's, there's pros and cons to either, but I had to take a look at myself and say, okay, is this something you can do as a person with yeah. your, you know, personality and your, you know, whatever. And it, and it totally was, and it was fine, but there was, there's a moment, there is a moment and it's very subtle, but it will happen. I, yeah. I, I promise you. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, do Can't you wait. have any like advice or like strategies? Wow. That sounds very like therapy-esque for kind Love of getting over those insecurities and like how you got from realizing it wasn't exactly your favorite part of the job to being able to do it. No problem. I think realizing that my male counterparts don't like things like that either. Like there's nothing, I don't want to diminish the uniquely female or the uniquely being a woman aspect of, you know, being in this industry. But I think you realize like, you know, in every, any job you do, there's going to be things that you don't love. There's going to be areas where you feel sort of insecure. And my goal was always just to do the best I could and be as professional as I could. And I guess anytime I feel a bit insecure or I feel a bit unsure, no matter what that is, if that's doing a keynote speech in front of 1200 people or, you know, going into a scrum where I feel, I don't know, like I, I feel like maybe I don't have a grasp necessarily on where I'm going with, like, I'm trying to figure out the questions. I'm trying to figure out the story. Like I double down on, I, I, I just, you have to lean into that to, to, to your prep, pre, excuse me, you have to lean into your preparedness and you have to lean into your, um, your path that got you there. Anytime I get insecure or unsure about what I'm doing, I just go, no, you are prepared. You have spent hours going over these questions. You have spent days writing this speech. You are fine. And, and so I think it's, it's really, it's these subtle moments. There's no I wish that, I mean, I listen to podcasts like this too, and I always listen for these tidbits, but for me, I do think it's as simple as just turning inward a little bit and just kind of taking that moment, taking that breath. No, I'm ready. No, I can do this. I've prepared my questions. No, I deserve to be here as much as every other person. It is for me as subtle as that. Yeah. I think that's really important to know though, that it's not some like big thing. It's it's as simple as kind of listening to yourself and being like telling those voices to like, hey, be quiet for a second. But I think it's the process of getting the confidence to do that that I think I'm yeah. excited to embark on. Um, slightly <laughs> scared, 
whole other podcast. No, you'll um, be wonderful. But yeah. So how did you go from your role with the Tiger Cats doing that one Super Bowl with the league office to the role that you had with the league as a whole? Yeah. So when I worked that Grey Cup in Saskatchewan, I was able to make great connections with people at the league who became truly some of my my best pals and greatest allies. And little did I know at the time, I spent time um, the next year. So going into 2014, not working a ton. I was, um, it was the Olympics that year, if I have my dates right. I worked for CBC um, Sports. I was doing stuff on the back end of their website for the Olympics. I then was lucky enough to do some on-camera work for, C- for the CBC Sports Desk, which was very cool. That spring, that was a short-term contract that ended. At this point, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This is really scary. <laughs> oh no, I thought I had so much <laughs> success with my internship. What am I doing? I went to travel for two weeks. And while I was traveling, I got a call from the Tiger Cat saying, we'd really love you to come back for the rest of the season. We've started, we have this idea. We want to do this in-stadium panel where we're going to set up a panel desk. We want you to be the host. We're going to have three former players come on and we're going to do this in-stadium live. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. So I started back up at the Tiger Cats and that took me through until the end of that season. Then I didn't have a job again. (laughs) and then I'm really starting to freak out because now I'm like okay this cannot I am this I like stability which is I mean really come on like let's be real probably not the best career path for someone who likes stability (laughs) I like certainty I like stability this was not it and I really at that time reached into my network I mean I would be I I would be curious to go back through my emails from 25th January to I guess, late February or December, late February, 2015, and look through my emails. I mean, I think I took a hundred coffees and at the end of the day, I went and met with Christina Litz at the league office. And I just said, look, I want to do this. It's not that I want a job in sports. I want this job. I love the CFL at this point, right? I'd spent two years with the Tiger Cats. There was no full-time position at that time there. But I loved the league and I had, and I had a taste of what working with their team was like. And I, and I came at her with all these ideas and all this storytelling. And I said, I'll do anything. I'll edit, I'll, I'll produce, I'll write, I'll learn. Please just bring me on. And um, I got a job with the CFL that, that February, February of 2015 and spent uh, an incredible kind of six, seven years living out my wildest dreams and that's how it happened amazing do you remember what their digital content like game was kind of like before you showed up did you kind of you said you went in with a bunch of ideas like what what were some of those yeah so they it was a it's it's always been a very lean team and the amount that they have been able to do with that team was always incredible at the time it was really focused on um game recaps and and that kind of um, stuff so we used to spend uh, I think we used to trade off every other weekend I'd have to ask my colleague Kyle but we used to assign we do one game a weekend or two games a weekend we go into the office it was like crazy for the whole season we would work like six seven days a week all season long and um, 
the big focus was on getting those game recaps up. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of that kind of thing. And then they would do like a couple of features a year, but they always had bigger, it was not me. They always had bigger hopes and dreams and they needed the people. They needed the people to, to be able to do that. So as I started, they started to beef up their team a bit more. So we started to do um, more storytelling and that's what really what I wanted to do. And I, and I know my colleagues wanted to do too. I mean, you should have seen the meetings we would go to the three, four of us early in those early days. I mean, just crazy ideas. And it's like, it all comes down to resources, right? It all comes down to, and I'm sure it's the same with every media company, who's going to fund it. How's it going to get done? And it really was in 2016. Cause I think this is what you're getting at where things started to take a real shift. Um, there was a real focus at that time on storytelling and about helmets off and about making our players huge stars. And in order to do that, we needed someone, the league needed someone to help tell those stories. And we, as a department, were responsible for doing that. So that's kind of how that shift happened and how we moved more into the stuff that you've seen recently, like um, game time or the grind, um, or some of the incredible work that Donovan Bennett was doing with the CFL with his um, essays. So that kind of stuff starts to, to percolate in 2016 um, up until, well, COVID really, 2019, we'll call it. Yeah, um, that's great. Cause I, I remember growing up with the Montreal Alouettes, I mean, they were great until I think I started to really get into football and then they were unwatchable. And it just felt oh, like no. it was so bad. Um, and it just felt like I remember feeling like the league, I was really into the NFL at the time. And I was like, it just doesn't feel like the same. And then when I started to slowly get back into it, when I was working with the Alouettes, I was like, this is like miles ahead of what I remember and what kind of the reputation was Yeah, so cool to know kind of like the behind the scenes of what went into that. Um, cause I think it's very easy for people to, to compare the CFL to the NFL and it's like, well, they're completely different products because you can't compare them. Yeah, they're not comparable. No. You, there's their football. That's yeah. That's it. yeah. The NFL owns a day of the week, um, essentially, <laughs> which like, you can't compare anything to that. Um, so you must have, you must have, your interest must have started to wane after Anthony Calvillo left because yes. there were some rough years in but, there and that yeah. was primarily when I was working for the league I covered his retirement and then I kind of came on to work for the league and so a lot of my time with the league up until recently the owls the owls really struggled and my co-host oh, yeah. Davis Sanchez is a former Alouette so that was always yeah. sort of get the inside scoop from him and, oh yeah. yeah no it was it was painful football to watch but then it was great the year I, I ended up with their media team they turned it around and they were that's amazing. right I was like this that's is right. great I'm like all I'm gonna say is I'm the new one here so you're welcome <laughs> exactly. um, so do you have a favorite kind of moment of doing like some like specific games or like a specific player moment that kind of sticks out from your time with the league oh man um that's the beauty of my job is I could I could go through my I mean let's be real I'd have to go through my phone because that's so many years but um I, I and I wish I could do that with you now and we could spend a whole like we could do a slideshow and I could show and I could tell you every back backstory of every picture so I maybe I'm being a bit lazy here but the project that has meant the most to me was the grind this is, if you guys haven't seen it, is a series that we produced at the CFL where we traveled to the off-season homes of the players. If you're not a football fan, a lot of the guys that play in the Canadian Football League are American. So they will go or, you know, whatever, or they're Canadian, they go home to their 
where they live. They don't necessarily live in the cities where they, where they play. And so this was an idea that I had along with our team that started off just using a vlog camera. And I used a vlog camera to go train with some guys in Mississauga. And it was such a success and people loved this video so much. I said, there's something here. Like we need to really think about this and what we could do to show these players again, helmets off, personality first, and, and, and give people a window into how, um, how challenging and how, how much of a full-time job it is to prepare for football. Like, what does it look like to be a professional athlete in an off season? And we were so lucky to have incredible support at the league office and this series got off the ground and I spent the better part of the off season, the year doesn't matter, but whatever the year was traveling around the United States and Canada with our team filming this series. And it is to this day, the thing I'm most proud of, you can catch it on YouTube. You can watch it on CFL.ca. It's called the grind. I think there were nine or 10 episodes. The first season we did it. Casey, I was going to Wetumpka, Alabama, middle of nowhere, Alabama to work out with Bear Woods Oh my gosh. In a fire hall at 5 a.m. Because that's where he works out. He had permission from the local fire station to work out at their gym. 5 a.m. I went to Atlanta to work out with Odell Willis in the gym that, um, actually it's Marcus Ball who plays in the league, but it's his family's gym with a couple other guys. And then do this really intense boot camp where there's like 60 people in the class and we're like sweating and we've already worked out for an hour. We went to Louisiana, where if you're an NFL play- fan, Deontay Spencer, um, who was with the league at the time, lives uh, lives in New Iberia. We go and do boxing. We train we train in a boxing gym with him, oh and my. I watch his sequencing. It was part travel, part fitness, and well, fitness it sounds too floofy. This is not fitness as you think. This is like real training, and I do the workouts with them, and it's to show how incredibly difficult these workouts are and how demanding the lives are of these guys so that was the series and then the next year we um were working with some players from cfl 2.0 so we went to mexico city we went to um, berlin germany to do the same to watch these guys who were coming over to Mm -hmm. essentially try out for the league and watch them in their football leagues um in Mexico and, and Germany, um, prepare to come over here. And, uh, I think it got to the root of what I really love about the league, which is the people yeah, and the great unique stories and, and the incredible hard work and the sort of what you were alluding to earlier, bit of the, uh, the, these guys have a chip on their shoulder. A lot of them, right. Yeah. There's a lot to prove. And the series, I thought, really, really showed how incredible they are, not only as as athletes, but as men. And that yeah. was kind of the best part of it. Yeah. Oh my God. I can only imagine the shape you were in by the end of that summer. <laughs> I was fit. Oh Especially now God. that I'm pregnant now, I'm like, will I ever get back to that? I look at those workouts. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Just call up Bear Woods. Be like, hi, is the firehouse still open? Yeah. Um, COVID who? Um So what did you notice most, switching back to kind of more like nebulous topics, what did you notice most about kind of the culture shift around women in sports media throughout your career? That's a good question. Um, I think it 
depends a bit. I think it depends a bit on where you are and who is championing championing women in your office. Yeah. I think that overall, I mean, we've seen this recently on social media. There is a lot of um, push and excitement around, you know, women referees, women head coaches. That, of course, wasn't, I mean, I say, I say this like I'm so old, but that wasn't really happening in 2015, right? Even yeah. five, four, three, four, five years later, it was starting to become more of a thing. The women who were really leading the charge um, in the States and in Canada, you know, were more vocal but I don't even know if that's fair to say because you know I can't really speak to I guess where I'm coming at is there's there have always been women who have been trailblazers in this industry that is why we are able to do what we do because of these people that put in the boots on the ground hard work back then now I feel like there's more of a rallying cry more of a social push around it yeah which is so beautiful and incredible to see but when it comes down to individual organizations to me that comes down to who's championing you in those offices. And so that really depends on the personnel that you're working with and how important it is to them. And, you know, and that's, that's unique by organization, by team, by league. Um, And I think, you know, overall, there's a long way to go for everyone. Yeah. So I don't think that's a unique thing, but we had some great champions at the league and, um, and those uh, men and women will forever you know, have already made a lasting impact on, um, on the league in that sense. Yeah. Um, what would you tell people if you have like from personal experience or just advice from being in the industry, say someone was entering a workspace where there really wasn't any women and you could kind of feel that the culture was very resistant to having women around. What would you say kind of like their best next steps are that's such a hard thing to answer because I'm really putting you on the spot here my bad (laughs) no I can answer anything ask me anything I just can't promise it'll be like the most intelligent answer anyway I can (laughs) only tell you how I would approach it yeah and the way that I am and again see this this may sound like so I hate this because I may sound sort of like anti I don't want to sound anti-feminist or anti this is not how I'm this is not what I'm saying yeah. But my first, no matter what the situation is, I, I do think you have to take some time to understand the culture. If you're coming into a place and you're realizing on day one, day two, day three, okay, I thought maybe there were more women here. There's not. I thought these men were maybe going to champion me. I'm realizing that's not really the case. This isn't, this is maybe isn't going to be a, a great environment or this is going to be really challenging or it's not going to be really challenging. There's just some slight undertones and this is going to be challenging. I do think you need to take some time to understand the culture and how it works before you like dive in with any ideas because I think that no matter again where you are and what you're doing anyone who comes in with like a bajillion new ideas off the top it's like it's a lot. Yeah. So understand the culture, understand how the puzzle pieces fit together, try and take note of the key personalities and how those people interact and the power structures that are going on behind the scene again I can't say this this is not stuff that happened at the league but you do see it unfold elsewhere right yeah for sure and then start to find ways to advocate for yourself and then start to subtly call out those issues when you see them start to understand the 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 pressure points for these other people you work with and you should and you should be speaking up and you should be saying 
things in a, in a completely professional um, in a professional way with, you know, with honest and what you would have, what you have, right. Coming from a real place of honesty and a real place of wanting to do the best by the organization and to, and to have integrity in yourself. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm oh, getting at? For sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You, you want to watch, observe, understand what's happening. Yeah. And then you want to think through how it is you can best approach those situations and how you can best advocate for yourself. And yeah. that's, I guess, what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I think where like that becomes a struggle is I know for me, especially I would like want to fix everything right away and I would want to call it out right away. And then I think it's just kind of like growing up and maturing and realizing that like you're not going to change anything by doing that. Um, we all do. We all can yeah. be like, this is wrong. I have to do this. Like yeah. we're type A, we're in an industry where we're trying to lead the way. You want to be like, this is an unacceptable. I'm going to make the change. And I'm not saying you stay there for four years and you do that. Yeah, maybe but not give yourself that. Give yourself a moment to understand yeah. what's happening, why these systems might be in place, what the real issues are, and then figure out who amongst all of these people are your allies and people that you can really trust and, and start to make some good change because you can and you have to be bold and you have to be brave. Yeah. But you have to also understand a little bit where, where as best you can, where it's coming from. And you're right. It's a total maturity thing. And people would give other answers that are far more intelligent than that. But that is just how I would approach it. No, I think that's great. It's definitely like, I think that's something that people can very easily kind of take in and start to practice. Because um, I think we're all slowly going to be entering spaces where that could be an issue. Um, I hope not by the time we start our internships, but you know. Um, I also like how a theme that's occurring on this podcast is a lot of people are always mentioning, like, find your allies, figure out who's there for you. And I think that is, could be a whole other podcast about like, how do you know who your ally is? But it could, but I was going to say that to me, if someone said that to me as a young person would feel so daunting and like making notes, I'm like, okay, find my allies. Who are my allies? It is so obvious. The people that are your friends and your, it is like, it is natural. It is like, finding a best friend. It's not something that is so, I mean, in my experience, yeah. in my experience, it's just, it's really obvious the people yeah. that are going to advocate for you and are on your side. It, it's not as complicated or as stressful as it may sound. Uh, sure. These are big words and they don't need to be. They're truly just people that you click with and that you trust and you respect and they kind of feel the same about you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. so now I will focus on finding my best friends. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> um, so where do you think the culture is headed around women in sport media and specifically football? Well, I think that, you know, the work that has been done has laid a good foundation. And I think especially as we see more women coaching, more women um, refereeing, more women in roles of, of power and decision-making, it just, it has to, it will only improve. And I think that the, I think people sort of demand it. Um, with that said, football is sort of, um, there's more women playing football. And of course we want more women to play football. There's so many great leagues and, um, you know, outlets for women to play, but the majority of people that play are still men. And so yeah. it, it's sort of this fine dance between the people that are, you know, being, kind of cohorted in based on their playing career and experience in the league in, in, in playing versus the women that have done so. And I have worked with women who play football who are the best. And I am constantly thinking their brain about how, like I've never played 
properly. <laughs> so I always like to pick their brains on it. But I think it's like any industry, right? You need women in roles of leadership um, who bring diverse experience, who bring diverse voices to help elevate the rest of the group, I think. And, and, and then you also have to have the awareness, which we're already seeing of a lot of um, men in positions of power who understand that diversity is necessary. Um, it's necessary for the strength of these organizations because you cannot have an echo chamber. You cannot have an experience where everyone is staying and thinking the same way. And I think that that will continue to get better. But I mean, what, oh, gosh, I wish I knew. Yeah. Oh no, it's definitely one of those questions where it's like, it could go so many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. I just like hearing other people's opinions on it who have kind of seen more of the shift than I have. Um, Because obviously I am very lucky to be entering the industry at a time when there have been a lot of women like you, like Tara Sloan, like the people that came before you that have made it so I can kind of do what I want to do. Not to say that there isn't work still to be done. um, But I think all of us, especially at Unbenched, extremely thankful for um, the work that has kind of come in before us that we are able to continue and hopefully make all of you very, very proud. No. <laughs> um, so what's next for you other than other than motherhood? Other than motherhood, other than trying to figure out how to raise a human? Um, small detail, very small detail. Very good question. I, uh, I'm, I have a baby boy due June 1st and, you know, the road to this baby has been really challenging for my husband and I. And so I feel like I'm finally coming out of the fog of that experience, um, which was really tough. And now that I can see clearly, I'm starting to think about what's next. And um, that's really scary. I'm going to be honest. I told you that I like certainty and I like stability. I'm going into one of the most uncertain and unstable times in my life. And um, if we, if you've, I mean, Casey, I I talk, I try as much as possible to be really honest when I give interviews because I don't want anyone to think that anyone has it figured out. Yeah. I'm really scared about what's next. I I have some ideas. I'd really like, I really like to stay in sports. I'd really like to stay in broadcasting. Um, I love what I do. And I think that I have spent, you know, almost a decade now um, working at it and getting really good at it. I'm really proud of the relationships I've built with players and with um, personnel. And I think that no matter what I do next, I want to be able to bring that ability with me. Um, And there's also things I need to get better at and I need to work harder at and that, um, you know, continue to hone, you know, some of my on-camera skills. I need to figure out how to be a little less fearless on social media. Um, There's some things I need to work on when I look at my career, but I hope to stay around football. I hope to stay around media um, and sports media and I don't know. It's, it's going to be an interesting year. Let me tell you, it's going to be an interesting year. And I'm, and I, and I, as always, as I said, at the beginning of our conversation, have a lot of faith in the body of work that I've put in, that I have spent time crafting. And I hope that that speaks as I, you know, take those next 200 coffees. (laughs) Once I have the appetite for coffee again, um, (laughs) 
and lean into what's next. And that's um, something that if you want to work in sports, you have to get used to, unfortunately, have a really good support system, be ready to lean on those people when you feel like you don't know what's coming next and, and where you're going. And uh, doesn't mean it's going to happen. But if it does, you know, you got to have enough faith in, in your work and, and yourself as, as, a, as a professional and as a person that it will, it will come together. And I, and I do feel that way. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see what comes next for you. I know the whole team at Unbenched will be cheering you on wherever oh, you end up. Thanks, and I really guys. do hope that we get to see you um, stick around football. Me too. That's all for this episode of the Unbenched podcast. I hope everyone had fun hanging out with us and that you learned a thing or two about making it in a daunting industry. To keep up with Brody and what comes next for her, make sure to give her socials a follow. They'll be linked in the description of this episode. And as always, make sure you're following Unbenched. Until next time, don't forget to speak sports like a girl.